thank you um, so much for for um, asking me to speak this morning, Nigel. It's been, it's great to be here, and um, it's wonderful to be sharing with you. Um, Abby and I would just like to say thank you for our warm welcome that we've had this last couple of weeks. Um, you may have missed me last week. I got food poisoning, um, so I was uh, I was not seeing anyone last week. Um, but thankfully, we're back again, um, and we've felt such a warm welcome these last um, number of weeks, and we just thank you so much for that. It's Mothering Sunday, and we want to celebrate the mothers and the ladies in this room. It can be a really difficult time for some people. It can be an an awkward time for uh, for different reasons, but we want to celebrate the mothers and the ladies in this room because of all the great things that they've done and the wonderful things that God has given them to do with us. Um, And we thank God that he is the ultimate source of all love of all good things. Of course, traditionally, um, Mothering Sunday was a day when um, people would go back to their mother church. If you worked in a big house, I sort of think of Downton Abbey. Everyone working in in Downton Abbey, they would have left Downton. They would have gone home to their home church and they would have been able to have um, a day with their family then. Probably one of the only days in the year when families would have been together, um, all together. Even at Christmas time, they would have been serving the families in, in the houses um, and traditionally, it was a day when you came back to your church. We're going to re- be reading in Isaiah of how Israel are being called back into a relationship with God, back into Jerusalem, back to their home, and back to the place where they belonged. Abby and I have had the pleasure of um, spending some time with our respective families this last few weeks, um, and it has been it's been lovely. We had some friends recently who went back to their um his mum and dad to stay with them while they were coming back from England, getting ready to buy. Um, They're about 26, 28 years old, um, getting ready to go to work, uh, working for a big company in Belfast. And just that morning, he heard a knock at the door. Just making sure you're you're getting up ready for work, okay? And they just thought, what have we got ourselves in for? Um, Thankfully, we did not have that this last couple of weeks. Um, We've had a lovely time, spending time with family. Um, But it can be Um, It can be like that. Um, Here in Isaiah, we're going to read a little bit about Israel coming back to their home nation. Now, I know you're all experts now after having God's big picture of knowing where Isaiah sits in the span of Scripture, but we're just going to go over it a wee bit. Um, If you want to open up your Bibles towards Isaiah 49, if you have them, that would be wonderful. Um, Isaiah is one of the major prophets. It is um, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Major, not because it's better, but because it's just bigger. And they've got about 60 chapters each, um, and the minor prophets are just a little bit smaller. Written to the southern kingdom of Judah, Isaiah is a book of warning of the coming judgment on the people of Judah, that if they do not change the way of life that they're living, that exile is going to come. And actually, Isaiah 49 is when is after the exile, when Israel or Judah are in the middle of exile in Babylon. Um, Babylon came in 587 to ransack Jerusalem and to take the people off. Actually, the second half of Isaiah is also called the Servant Song, is written um, with perspective talking about this mysterious character called the Servant of God, who's an image not just of the people of Israel, um, but also an image pointing towards Jesus. So we're going to see that in a little bit. The people here are be, have been warned literally for hundreds of years, if you don't stop living the way you're living, you're going to be brought into exile. 
And sometimes we look at that and say, that's a bit drastic. But some of the things that people were doing, human sacrifice, some of the kings were known to sacrifice their own children to, to these gods who didn't even exist. Um, they were known to for temple prostitution, as Nigel mentioned in, during Hosea, and lots of horrendous things. And God couldn't stand that anymore, so he sent his judgment on the people. And the people in this chapter are in the midst of exile. They are in the midst of their troubles. They are in the midst of their Babylon. And they say to God, God, would you help us? God, would you bring us out of this situation? Would you help us? And God says in verse 8, In the the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will will help you. One of the commentators, Knight, actually mentions that this isn't just, I'm going to hear you, but it is, I have heard you. I am in the process of acting this out. I'm not just going to do it in the future. I will do this with you now. He says, listen up. I'm going to and see what I'm going to do with you. And it's, it's quite amazing, this bit that comes next. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant people again, because they were already a covenant people, as you've known from the, good, the big picture, to restore the land, to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, to those in darkness, be free. They will, be, they will feed beside the road. They will find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither thirst nor they will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who, has, he who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. And this last image I just think is so beautiful. I will turn all my mountains into roads and my highways will be raised up. This idea that the path will be made straight and easy to come into Jerusalem. There'll be no mountains in the way. There'll be no valleys in the way. It will be straight and easy. And he doesn't only say, I'm going to restore you, Israel, but he says, I'm going to restore the whole world through you. I'm going to use you as a nation to restore the world. And so he says, Israel, let's celebrate. Verse 13, shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Israel, do not hear the celebration. They don't want to be part of it because they are still in exile, they are still in Babylon, they are not restored, and they say to God, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. And how often have we potentially said that to God, God, you have forsaken me, you have forgotten me. When I was having food poisoning last week, I may have been saying that myself, God, you've forsaken me. Um, But God replies with one of the most intimate images in the whole of Scripture to say, I haven't forgotten you. He says in verse 15, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. The Hebrew word for compassion here is rahum, and it's a word described of a mother's love for a child in the story of King Solomon. There's two um, prostitutes who have, who's, there's one baby between them, and one says it's hers, one says it's the other's. And Solomon says, right, we'll cut the baby in half, you can both have a half. And one of the ladies says, no, 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 don't kill the child, give it to the other person. And it says that she's moved out of her rahum, her compassion. In um, Exodus 34, verse 6, um, one of the most 
one of the images of God describing himself. It says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and steadfastness for or faithfulness. And that compassionate word again, God saying, I am this kind of loving towards you. God says, can a mother forget the baby that she is currently nursing, that she is holding in her arms? Can she forget that child? No, of course not. And so Israel, I don't forget you. I am holding you in my arms and I will restore you. One of the commentators even mentions that if we were able to grasp God's maternal love, you know, God is the source of all good things and he's the source of all good maternal love. If we're able to grasp that, then maybe we wouldn't have raised Mary to the position of the the divine mother. We would be able to grasp that God is that love for us as well. But again, Israel are still in the midst of their suffering. Okay, God, you love us like a mother, so prove it, prove it. And he says in verse 16, see, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And the walls being this image of Jerusalem being ransacked in the exile in 587, and their walls were destroyed. There's no protection. And you see in Nehemiah, God restoring the walls, restoring Jerusalem. And so that comes up in, in Ezra and Nehemiah. And not only that, but he says to them, I'm going to, this, the end of the verse where it talks about these children will be, will be given to you, these children that are not your own, and this idea that the people who were not part of Israel will be coming and joining the family of faith. And Israel will be saying, where did these guys come from? It's great. We've got new people. But how does this um, have bear for us today? And reading in Mothering Sunday, what does this have to do with us? Well, we may be feeling forsaken today. We may be feeling forsaken. You may be saying to God, God, you have forgotten me. You have forsaken me. You may be in the midst of your Babylon, in the midst of your exile, or in the midst of your poverty, saying, God, I, I don't have the answers here. I know you're still there, but I need your help. I think we've all been there at one stage in our lives, saying, God, where are you? But we have to remember that our experience can't be what decides our theology or how we understand God. Our experience should be um, fed into by Scripture and by what the Bible says. Matthew 28 says, um, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Go into the world and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will never leave you or forsake you. In Romans chapter 8, um, it says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Can heights or depths or angels or demons or anything good or bad? No, nothing can separate you from God's love. And maybe you don't feel like you're forsaken today. You feel like you're restored in God, and that's a good thing. But it's actually a powerful and a wonderful thing to remind ourselves that we are exiles here on earth, that we are in need of God's restoration, of God's grace, wherever we are, continually coming back to God and saying, God, I'm not good enough. I thank you that in your son that I am made good enough. Calvin's idea of total depravity, how we know that we are totally separate from God and without him we are nothing. Oh, just put the slides up there, Flo, that would be great. So never forgotten is our next one.
So we say to God, God, you've forgotten me. You've forsaken me. But God says to us, we are never forgotten. God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? No. And so I have never forgotten you. This idea that we are being held by God in the midst of our distress, in the midst of our hurt, that he is holding us tenderly. Think of the most intimate memory of you and your mother. And that is God's great love for us. God's love in this way is raw. It is unconditional. I, I almost think of a, of, a, of a mother bear fighting for, for her child. That's God's love for us. We may have different perspectives of God. A.W. Tozer said, what we think of when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And so when we think of God, do we think of a distant dictator who's unapproachable, who's careless, who doesn't have anything to do with us, who's maybe a puppeteer um, over the universe? Or do we think of him in, this ter- in these terms? Can a mother forget the baby out of breast? No, and I will not forget you. And so we say to God, okay, God, that's fine. You love me. So prove it. Prove that you love me. And he replies, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. And this Hebrew, um, I'll not try and pronounce it because it's got a lot of, a lot of phlegm in that pronunciation. But um, this one says to etch with a hammer and chisel. So the idea of scratching on tablet or um, hammering into um, a piece of stone. And so what does hammering, a hammer and chisel into, into the palm of someone's hands bring up the, the image of but Jesus. And so our names are written on the palm of Jesus' hands. And he says, I've never forgotten you. I can't forget you because your name is on my hand. There's an idea that Jesus will be the only one in the new heaven and new earth with scars because Jesus' resurrection, resurrected body had nail marks on his hands and had holes in the side for Thomas to put his hands in. And so Jesus' scars are the proof of his love for us. I said this in the first service, but if I die tomorrow, um, I want the song Before the Throne of God Above, sung at my funeral. Um, The song goes like this, Before the Throne of God Above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his hands, My name is hidden on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. If we feel forsaken today, or if we don't, we can remember that our names are written on Jesus' hands. And that we can be known by him and boldly come into his presence because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. He doesn't promise necessarily that he'll take all of our um, difficulties away. You know, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the image of a mother holding their child in the midst of their suffering. You know, I don't know if you remember your distress as a child, bumping your knee. You don't necessarily want your mom to make it better. You do want a hug. And so the same image of, uh, of God holding us in our distress.
that God just wants to hold us. And so God says to Israel and God says to us that we are restored to restore the world. That we are restored to restore. He says to the people of Israel, I'm going to use you to feed the hungry. I'm going to use you to give the thirsty water. I'm going to use you to restore the world. In the same way, Jesus comes to restore each of us and to use us to restore the world. Next slide there, please, Flo. That'd be great. We are called to bring God's perfect peace to the whole world in Jesus. He says, I've given you authority over, I've been given all authority and therefore go into the whole world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This idea of bringing God's peace isn't just, you know, not the absence of violence, but God's perfect peace, God's shalom, where nothing is missing and nothing is broken in our lives, in our societies, in our cities. We are called to bring that to the world around us. And that's what we are called to as Bangor Parish, to bring that kind of peace to Bangor to restore the broken, the hurting, and the dying. And that's a wonderful thing that the Compassion Center is certainly certainly doing for those in need in, in the town. But we're called to do that in each of our lives, wherever we are, in our workplaces, in our families. We're called to be those agents of restoration. We're called to be that covenant people. We're called to restore cities, to bring prosperity to cities, to pray for their prosperity, to pray for businesses and for um, those within them who need the jobs. We are called to restore families, to bring reconciliation and forgiveness, and maybe potentially to be the agents of reconciliation in our own families, bringing forgiveness where it hasn't been given before, being the, the initial person to start off forgiveness. You know, some people say, um, you hold on to unforgiveness. But for unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt somebody else and letting that unforgiveness go to the world around us or letting that forgiveness. We're called to restore schools and businesses, to resco- restore people from addiction, people from poverty, people from the, the demonic powers that are holding them in our town and from sickness and praying for medical intervention, but also praying for divine intervention in people's lives, praying boldly that God would act. We are called to restore the world and not to exploit it. I think in the West, we, we pick up things and we throw them away like no tomorrow. Um, but we are called not to just not just to do that, but to restore the world, to think about how the things we buy affect the world around us. So maybe you um, don't feel forsaken this morning, but maybe you feel that you need to be a new agent of restoration in the lives of those around you. And maybe you're already living that out. But then we come to verse 13 and we celebrate again just as God celebrated with the people of Israel, and so we celebrate with him as well. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the God, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. And we are the afflicted ones if we live in exile here on earth. But ultimately, We look forward to a day when all things will be restored, not just us as a church, but the whole earth, as we heard in God's big picture last week. 
that the whole earth will be restored, that all things will be made new, and God will restore all of us. There'll be no tears, no crying, no dying, and all relationships will be restored. Tim Keller says of the, as in the prodigal of the story of the, in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus will make the whole, make the world our perfect home again. We will be loved, and the Father will meet us and embrace us, and we will enter the feast. And that's what we ultimately wait for in Jesus. There'll be some prayer ministry in a wee minute. Um, and if those anything has resonated with you and you just feel that you need to come to the Lord and speak to him about uh, whatever issue is going on in your life, please come for prayer. Even say, God, I want to be an agent of restoration in Bangor. Would you challenge me of how to do that? Or maybe you just feel, God, I feel forsaken right now. I just want to feel your warm embrace. But please come for prayer um, if that's something that you feel challenged to this morning. But let's pray together before we finish.